I encourage you to take out your copy of God's Word, whether that's your phone or if you just need to look up on the screen to these verses. Um, I'm really excited about this message. I felt like I was worshiping in a great way as I went through this passage of Scripture this week. It was exciting, and I hope that I can express the information and excitement that I had as I spent time with God and His Word. This is an amazing Amazing story that we're going through the book of Genesis. Turn over to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Last few weeks we've been away from this book and uh, for a patriotic message. And uh, Dale McCauley was here a couple weeks ago, share a great message about prayer as well. And, but we're back to the book of Genesis. And I hope that as you go through this, you're not just uh, reading these verses, but maybe you will dig down and study, because I've read these verses we're about to read dozens and dozens of times. I had a class in college, but I never learned the things uh, like I did this week, and I hope that it's meaningful and powerful to you as well. Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 4 if you would. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Verse 5, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, but Dalium and Onkstone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flowed east out of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray and uh, ask God to speak to us through these words today. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We know it's powerful than any, more powerful than any two-edged sword, that it goes right to our heart to examine our motives, to reveal to us the inner thoughts of our lives that you already know about. And Lord, we just pray as we dig into your word today that your Holy Spirit would come and, and help us to uh, understand and to see the meaning of these verses and to apply them to our lives. That's probably the most important thing as we gain knowledge, to apply them to our lives and to live them out. We pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, astrophysicists have found that there are over 60 criteria that are necessary for life on this planet. It's necessary for you and I to live if all these things are lined up. Life could not exist or form if any of the following things were, were not true. First of all, Earth's rotation was slower or faster. That would be a problem. We would not be able to sustain life. If we were 2% closer or further from the sun, if Earth had a 1% change in sunlight, if Earth was any smaller or larger, if Taco Bell closed at 3 p.m. instead of the middle of the night. No, that's not true. It's not true. If the moon was smaller or larger, 
if we had more than one moon, if Earth's crust was thinner or thicker, or Pizza Hut only had thin crust, that'd be a problem, right? The oxygen, the nitrogen ratio was greater or less, or the ozone layer was greater or less. What an amazing place that we live on, this planet Earth. And I hope you turn your attention to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4 as we look at the amazing place God has made for us to enjoy. I wanted to finish out this entire chapter today, but as I began to study, I realized that we would have to split this into two parts. There's so much information, so much exciting things for us to look at. So we'll finish the chapter next week as we talk about the creation of man and woman together, Adam and Eve. But in verse 4, the story moves away from the description of God's creation in chapter 1. And in the first three verses, we talked about the Sabbath and how important that was when God rested on the seventh day. But now he turns to a narrative or a story format. Moses is the author, so how did he know what to write? He was not a witness to the things of creation. Nobody was. Only God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit were there. He did not write from the light of reason. He received these very words from God himself. And verses 4 and 6 are summary statements of the sixth day of creation with more detail. The statements made are designed to build to a climax to the greatest creation of all, and that's man and women, you and I. We are the apple of God's eye. We are the center focus of all of his creation, and we should revel in that fact. Verse 4 is a transition point. He says, these are the generations. Or another way to put it, these are, this is the account of. That's often used regularly throughout the book of Genesis to introduce a new narrative or a new story. Generation here means that uh, what came as a result of God's creation. We know that the world was created, the heavens and the earth and the land and all the beings, that man and women were created. Adam was created from the dirt. Then Eve was created from Adam's rib. Then children came as a result of the marital union between Adam and Eve. So now let's look at this narrative. Let's look very closely. First of all, in your outline, if you have an outline, you could fill in these blanks. The results of God's creation. The results of God's creation. This is what happened after his creation. Verse 4 says, These are the generations of the heaven and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. These verses help to emphasize the perfection of the environment. God was going to place man and women in a place of absolute perfection where their delights and their desires would be met and that they would always be God-honoring because they were perfect beings. That's what God intended with his creation from the very start. It's for us to live forever and for us to enjoy all the things that he brings to provide for our needs. These verses share what life was like before the fall of man, as we'll see in Genesis chapter 3. In verse 4, in the day may mean the same as when in reference to chapter 1, the days of creation. In the day, referring back to chapter 1. Verse 5, we read about these bushes. No bush of the field was yet in the land. What does that mean? Well, we'll refer back to that after the fall because it's a picture of the thorns and the thistles and the weeds that will 
come up. He's emphasizing the fact that this was still a place of perfection. He said there'll be no small plant of the field, talking about anything planted, because we'll see in a moment that all man needed to survive was the tree of life, to provide the food that he needed to live in, in, in immortality, live forever. But there would be a need after the fall, after sin, for crops to grow up because man would need that to eat to sustain his physical body. These are different from the vegetation described in chapter 1. Notice the earth was watered by a mist instead of rain. You don't see rain until you get to the story of Noah and the ark in chapter 6 through 9. There was a mist, and so it was a probably a very tropical place. You've ever been in those places down by the equator in Brazil or South Florida where it just feels like there's so much humidity that it just kind of mists over and waters the plants. And that's what it was like. Or some believe these are waters that broke up through the ground and just flowed all through the land to make sure it watered all the things that God had created. The Bible says that after creation was finished, God was still very active in sustaining what he made. We don't serve a God who the deists believe a God who created the world and left it to go its course. We have a God that's right now, this moment, holding everything together. He's personally involved in your life, but he's also involved in keeping his creation going. It tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, that he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And look at verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, I didn't see anybody when they walked in this room today to touch their seat or check it out or make sure the legs of the chairs would hold you up, right? You trusted that that seat was going to hold you. But if we were to take a microscope and really drill down to the level of atoms and molecules, you'd see protons and, and neurons and a nucleus. And you'd see space between those things. It's God that holds all that matter together. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Our God is involved in every minute detail of our universe, just like he is involved in every detail of your life. So here's the application. The same God who created you is still maintaining and transforming today. We just witnessed a baptism, an example of God transforming a life, moving someone who is spiritually dead into the resurrection power of making them spiritually alive. And he's doing the same in our world and creation and universe around us. God places his crowning jewel on earth when he creates man and then later on woman. So we see the creation of the first man, the creation of the first man. God here chooses to give more detail to the process than what he said in Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 27. In that chapter he said, then God said, let us make man in our image, notice the us, plural, representing the Holy Spirit, representing God the Father, Jesus Christ. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea 
and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's a great backdrop to verse 7 of chapter 2. It says that God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Verse 7, then God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Think about that. That word formed is interesting because it talks about how God like, took a lump of clay and put it on a potter's wheel. If you've ever seen a potter, a, a, a person making pottery, they have a little pedal and they get that wheel going and they spin it. And then they use their fingers to form the vessel, the vase, or whatever it is that they're making. Now it begs the question, why is it that God would speak all his other creation into existence but take the time to form man himself? Well, the writer of Paradise to Prison says this, to demonstrate God's personal care and love for man and his desire to relate to him in an intimate way. God wanted you and I to know that he personally made us, in a sense, through that first man. That God's handiwork is all over who we are and how he created us. God breathes only the breath of life, breathes the soul into man, not with any other creature he's created. Only man is created with the ability to have a soul, and he's created with perfection. What does it mean that God breathes into somebody the breath of life? Well, in this case, he imparts the soul into the man. That means, as we just read, we are made in the image of God. That in a, in a, a way that's earthly, we don't have all the attributes of God, but we have some of his attributes in the sense of love and mercy and compassion and the ability to, to reason and have logic. He imparts this as being the image of God. But second of all, the breathing into man, the breath of life, sets up the ability for man to have a relationship with God. Animals can't have that relationship with God. A rock can't have that relationship with God. We're made unique because he wants us to not only see the things of earth, but the things of heaven as well. And 24 times in the Old Testament, there's a reference to man and God having a personal relationship. Think about that. You know I teach Survey of World Religions, and I always talk about the 10 largest religions of the world, but there's no creation story in any of those stories that come close to talking about the ability to have a relationship with the Creator God. What an amazing thing. I hope you think hard about that. Think about being a Christian and what a privilege it is to know the one who created the universe lives in your heart in the form of the Holy Spirit. Every human being, if they're honest in this world, whether they're a believer or not, wonders and hopes and sometimes yearns to find in their heart something that's larger or bigger than themselves. They want answers to this life. Ecclesiastes 3, the one Solomon, some believe was the wisest man who ever lived, he said that God has put eternity into man's heart. That we can't deny the fact that we have the sense that there's something else out there and there's something after this life. You see a picture on the screen, Michelangelo, one of his famous paintings, a portion of that. The finger of God reaching for man. God reveals himself so he can have a relationship with us. Blaine Pascal said there's a God-shaped vacuum 
in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. Think about that. Everyone has that yearning and they want to fulfill it. And many do it through alcohol. Many do it through drugs. Maybe you do it through seeking materialism. And yet they don't fit the vacuum. Only Jesus Christ can do that. So if you're born again and you have a personal relationship with Christ, you should be at rest in this world. We're not of this world, but we're in this world. We know that all things work together for good to those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. We know that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. We rest in who God is in our life. And that's what salvation is. It brings us, our soul, to that place of rest. No matter the circumstances, no matter what happens to us unjustly, no matter what we do wrong, our God is there and we can rest in him. In Hebrews 4.10 it says, Forever has entered God's rest, has also rested from his works as God did from his. We don't have to do anything to earn our salvation. It's given to us by grace, through faith. It's a gift from God. If we were able to earn it, we could boast about it and we wouldn't need Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. It's by his grace through faith, that we receive it. And so when you look at the trees and you see the sky and the beautiful scenery, you see God's tapestry of creation. When you're a believer, you see the world differently because you see God's handiwork all around us. And as a believer, you get less enamored of the things in this life. Your relationships with your family and friends become richer and more meaningful because you know the creator of the universe. Lawrence Krauss, who's an atheistic physicist and cosmologist, author of a book called A Universe from Nothing, he's become popular. He's been on the Stephen Colbert show. He's been on NPR Talk of the Nation. In his book, he, he argues that the laws of physics allow the universe to begin from nothing. You don't need a deity. Zero total energy and quantum fluctuations can produce a universe. He goes on to admit, I can't prove that God doesn't exist, but I'd much rather live in a universe without a God. But what's interesting is where his worldview leads him. He believes human beings are just a bit of pollution. If you got rid of us and all the stars and all the galaxies and all the planets and all the aliens and everybody, then the universe would largely be the same. Man is completely irrelevant. In the opening book of the Bible, God says to the contrary, you and I, as we see throughout this chapter and in Psalm 8 and other places, how God loves us and is involved in our lives. You see in chapter 2, if you read this chapter, the phrase, the Lord God, the Lord God. It's a reminder to us that the same God who created, who created man as special, also created Israel as his special people. We are the apple of God's eye. We are important and special to him. Look at verse 8 in Genesis 2. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man who he had formed. It wasn't enough that God created men or man from the dust of the ground. He created a beautiful place of paradise for him to live, to be fulfilled, to be taken care of. The Garden of Eden was man's home. And the meaning of Eden means delight. Man had a garden of absolute delight. 
Notice some of the words found in the last part of verse 8. They're significant. Man. That word man is, is a Hebrew word that's talking about we are made from the ground. Adam, the root word that it's based of, is that made of the ground or dirt. God put. Now this is so important. And I encourage you to study this little phrase, God put. It means far more than God created Adam and just put him over in the garden. That's, that, that's just the beginning of the meaning. What he's saying is here is that he put him in a perfect environment to have a perfect relationship with him so that at any time he could commune with God and that all the time God would provide and take care of all his needs and anything he imagined or delighted in or wanted, God would provide because remember, Adam at this point is a man of perfection and all his desires are God-honoring. Can you imagine that? It's hard for us to get our head around. And so when God put, it wasn't just that he placed him in a place. He gave him so much more. He, and so he could rest in the faith because of his relationship with God. And next week we'll see more about what that word put means as we read verses 15 and following. And then that word formed. We talked man, God put, formed. Again, God took the time to not speak man into existence, but to shape him and make him how he wanted him to be. Victor Hugo in the book Les Miserables said this, life's greatest happiness is to be convinced that we are loved. What an amazing, amazing thought to know that we are loved. Even if things on this earth go south, even if we end up divorced, even if, if the worst scenarios can happen in our life, we know there's a God who is there 24-7 to love us and to cherish us. And so our application is this. God finished his creation by making his most prized possession, man. God finished his creation by making his most prized possession. It's more than our mind can grasp. We can't, we can't fathom what perfection looks like. But man is created in the image of God with the ability to have a personal relationship with the one who made him and the world around him. And then he places him in a garden personally built for the comfort and desires that he can live in forever. And lastly, today we see the creation of the Garden of Eden. The creation of the Garden of Eden. There aren't a lot of verses that give us descriptions of what this life of perfection was all about. And we don't know how long Adam and eventually Eve, after she was created, how long they lived in this state of perfection. But we have these verses. In verse 9, it says, And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is, is the Pishon. It's the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, and bdellium and onyx stone are there. And the name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. Well, the location of the Garden of Eden is up for grabs as to where it was. Some make the argument for Israel. Some make the argument it's in Iraq. Uh, but we don't know because after the flood, the topography or the lay of the land was completely changed in many ways. And so it's really hard to pinpoint 
where this location is. But yet God made some of the trees with age. And then others, he sprung up from the seeds of the trees that he created. Some with age and some have, were just merely seedlings. And at the center of garden, in a very prominent place, was the tree of life. While living in perfection, man was not immortal, according to most commentators. He had to continually eat of the tree of life to continue to live forever. And as long as he ate of that tree, he was fine. But then we read about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we'll talk more about that when we get into chapter 3. But the fruit from this tree provided humans the ability to make moral distinctions, a sense of ethical awareness. And God would forbid Adam and Eve from eating of this tree because it would be a prideful attempt to have all the knowledge like God. Two things to consider here about the tree of life. The tree of life is found first in Genesis 2 and provides the fruit that leads to eternal life. But then if you do a study, you look in Revelation chapter 22, see the beginning of the book and the end of the book, we see the tree of life reappear again in the new Jerusalem. In Revelation 22, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as a crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Boy, couldn't we use some of the healing of the nations right now with civil unrest in Africa and the Middle East and racial tensions here in the United States. One day we're going to know what it is to get along with every tribe, every person, people group together in heaven and we'll be around this tree of life that will continue to help us enjoy eternity. We'll be in perfect harmony with God without a sinful nature. We'll be restored to this place of perfection that we're talking about in the Garden of Eden. We see in verse 12 a symbol of what we find in Revelation 21, 18. Verse 12 of Genesis 2 talks about the gold, the different uh, gems. And we see that also in the New Jerusalem in Revelation 21:18, the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. So we get a picture of perfection and what perfection is going to look like in the future. But we see perfection, we see the fall into sin, the corruption of the world, and then God's restoration and transformation back to perfection. And you and I, we're part of the process as Christ followers in this whole work of his kingdom to bring the world to where he wants it to be. Each of us, we're individually transformed. We're restored to our created purposes. Once we accept Christ as Savior, it's like taking your phone and hitting the button where it says, take it back to factory settings. God is working to make us like he originally intended for us to have. But as we think about that, we need to be reminded that our life is merely a blip on the screen in the picture of all of eternity. You know, if you take a can of Febreze or some aerosol and you spray it and you see it for maybe one, two seconds, right? And then it's gone. And that's really what our life is in light of all of eternity. It's a vapor, James says, that appears for a while and then vanishes. The question is, how do we live between these two trees? The tree of life in the garden that now, because of sin, we can't go back to and eat? Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden and the garden was taken away. But now we have a tree that we look forward to in heaven if we know Christ as Savior. 
How are we living our life between two trees? That's what we need to think about. As we choose to live with these two trees in mind, we should have an eternal perspective to seek to allow God to change us and to make us into who he created us to be, to have a relationship with him, no matter the circumstances that we find our life in. Or we can choose to do things our own way and not worry about that second tree, not worry about eternity, but we'll end up wasting a lot of our time. We're to live in the here and now with God. His creation is drenched all around us with his revelation. Think about art. Think about music. Think about math and science and, and laughter. This week, this last couple days, we've taken our kids and grandkids up to Great Wolf Lodge in Wisconsin Dells. And I heard a lot of squeals of joy and delight as we did all those things. Where does that come from? That comes from God giving us joy in our lives. Who brought dancing into our world? You see, we see the fingerprints of God over all this world, or is it his world, and we have some of our fingerprints in it. Matthew 5 talks about the Beatitudes. And you and I, we're to be bringing heaven to earth. We're to be bringing down these teachings to others so that they in turn can see and receive the gospel. And also for us to restore this world by giving a cup of water to those in need in Jesus' name. A Jewish rabbi said it this way. I hope you think about what he said. People's good deeds are used by the eternal as seeds for planting trees in the Garden of Eden. Thus, each of us creates our own paradise. Think about that. You and I, we are building the seeds toward that day of perfection in the New Jerusalem. And we're bringing paradise to this world. I love what that rabbi said. And so when we do our good deeds, and we're doing it in Jesus' name, we're doing and bringing heaven to earth. As believers in Christ, we're part of the process God is using to bring this world to eventual perfection. And we're going to live forever lives and eternity with him, and even now in this earth. And so if we live with eternity in mind, it should change the way we look at our finances. How we write out the checks or pay things electronically. It changes the way we look at our retirement years. It changes the way you think about who you're going to marry, who you're going to spend the rest of your life with in that marriage relationship, or what vocation, or I think it's God's calling to a vocation in your life. Everything is effective when you look through the lens of eternity, when you think about living between those two trees. And may you and I partner with God to plant the seeds for playing the trees in the future Garden of Eden that will last forever. And that's by bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ and restoring his world to what God wanted it to be. May we be about restoring this world to paradise by how we live our lives. So here's our final application today, is that God made a place of paradise for his highest created being to enjoy. As we think about that, if God did that for Adam, what's heaven going to be like for us? It's going to be beyond description. It's going to be beyond our wildest dreams, our wildest imagination. We can't even fathom it. I just hope there's golf up there. I just hope there's some things that I do enjoy here in this life, but we don't know what it's going to be like. And that's why that song, I Can Only Imagine, is so popular because we can't get our head around it. So I hope that you are blessed and encouraged by this message. 
Here's this key thought to think about as you go out this week. You and I are the most loved, incredible, artistic creation on the planet. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't, hasn't made a mistake yet in who he made a human being. We're the most loved. We're the most incredible. We're the most artistic creation of the planet. And he's got our eyes, his eyes focused on us. So here's a couple things to think about, even as a believer in Christ. Think about this. God made you just as you are for a purpose. There's not another person on the planet who ever lived or whoever will live or who is living now that's just like you. And he's got a unique and special journey just for you. There's no one else like you in all of creation, as I said. Thank God for how he made you and accept who you are. I think that's where we battle in our humanity. You know, as much as I would pray and ask God to make me seven foot four like Shaquille O'Neal, guess what? It's not going to happen, folks. I don't care how many stretching machines you do or all those things. You got to thank God for how he made you and accept who he made you to be. And allow God to help you change what you can change in your life. There's things we can't change. You can't change the color of your eyes, the color of your hair, like Dale and I, whether you have hair or not. You can't change those things, but you can change things physically, emotionally, and spiritually in your life. And accept the things in your life that you cannot change because God doesn't make mistakes. He uses those imperfections to minister to other people, to do amazing things. I think of Johnny Erickson Tata, 17 years old, dives off the side of a, a beach, breaks her neck, quadriplegic the rest of her life. And, you know, she was bitter and angry at first with God, and then God transformed her life. And God has used her in amazing ways to do ministry, in ways that probably she never, maybe never would have had had she been perfectly whole in her body. God has a purpose for your imperfections, and he will use them. I hope you think about that today. But today, if you're here and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that's where it all begins. It's understanding, as Aaron shared in the baptismal pool, that each one of us are born into this world with a sinful nature. You and I, we have this desire to be independent, to do our own thing. I witnessed that with my two-year-old grandson this weekend. His name is Will, and he has a will. He's appropriately named. He's a great little kid. But you can see in it within the humanity of a young child that they're bent toward doing what they want to do when they want to do it. And we're like that. And the Bible says in the Ten Commandments that if we've broken one of his laws, we've broken all of them. And so all it takes is for us to steal one thing, and we become a thief. If we tell one lie, we become a liar. We can't live up to God's perfection, and that's hard for us to accept. But the good news is, is that Jesus Christ came on that cross, like that cross behind me, and he willingly laid down his life and was willing to be our substitute in our payment for sin. And Jesus uh, uh, came and put all the sin, God the Father put all the sins of the world upon him. And when he shed his blood, that became the payment for your sin and my sin. And when we come to the cross and we say, Lord, I'm, I'm unworthy, I'm a sinner. I've broken your laws. I want to turn away from my sin. I want to ask you to forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and be my personal savior. And I want to accept you as the one who created me. When we do that, then we have the gift of eternal life. And the gift of abundant life 
here on this planet. It transforms everything we do. It's the greatest decision you could ever make in this life. So let's bow our heads and our hearts today. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you've never received Christ as Savior. Maybe you didn't know these things about the creator of the universe and how unique and special you are and how strongly he wants to have a relationship with you. If you've never made that decision, just pray this prayer quietly in your heart. And it's not the prayer, it's not magic that the prayer does anything. It's the intent of your heart. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong. I've broken your laws. But I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I thank you that Jesus died on the cross on my behalf. He took the penalty and the judgment of sin upon himself. And I ask you to help me turn away from my sin and turn to you. And I ask you to come in and take control of my life today. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't want to embarrass anyone today, but I do want to pray for anyone who may have made that decision, the greatest decision you could ever make in this life. If God, if you prayed that prayer, if you asked Jesus to come into your heart, I'm going to ask you just to slip your hand up. No one's looking around, but I just want to pray for you, just you and I and God. If you prayed that, yes, anyone else prayed that prayer today, yes, made that decision to be sure that you have a connection with the God who created you, who took the time to form man from dust. Anyone else just before we pray? Father, I thank you for these hands that have been raised today. I pray that those that prayed this prayer, there'll be a time of newness of life, of a connection, a spiritual connection, where you take us from a sinful person and make us new in the image of God and make us a new creation. Lord, you would help us to begin to walk with you and to understand your word, that your word would come alive in our hearts and lives. And I pray that you would help them to have the sense of security, of rest, of what you desired for each and every human being to have. And we pray and ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.